everyone. Welcome to another episode of My Angular Story. Today we've got James Henry coming at us live from Toronto. Am I right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Hey there. Can you introduce yourself for, cause I know a lot of people already know you, but introduce yourself for those who don't. Sure. Uh, my name is James Henry. I work for a company called Narwhal. We are Angular consultants primarily. So founded by uh, Jeff Cross and Victor Savkin, two former Googlers who worked on the Angular project. Uh, so Angular has been a big part of my life for quite a long time now. Uh, How long? When, yeah, I was trying to think about that before the, before the podcast. So I first started working on Angular. I remember 0.9. I wasn't using it at that point. I started using it just after version one point something came out. Uh, and I, then I distinctly remember being a, a user when they brought out 1.2 because there was a radical rethink of animations and stuff like that. So 2012 uh, is when I was really using it properly, I would say. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So that's like, yeah, seven years now. Obviously, the radical change between AngularJS and Angular kind of makes it almost not one thing that I've been a part of. It's, it's yeah. almost two things, but... Yeah, the, the, the change to Angular 2 kind of dovetailed it nicely with a, a major interest of mine, which is TypeScript. And TypeScript's been a big focus of everything I've done in open source and everything I still do career-wise. So um, I, I, yeah, it was huge, a huge deal that Angular switched to TypeScript at the time. And uh, I was already writing AngularJS in TypeScript, but it was much more of a challenge because obviously the framework wasn't built with it in mind. Lots of global things affecting other things. Yeah. and. Just yeah. assuming things would be there on the page at the right time and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. But yeah, it's a, it was a, my initial kind of, I, I approached JavaScript from the server side up, like a lot of people kind of do. I just did more and more web uh, until uh, yeah, I fell, fell in love with it properly. Um, like a lot of kids, I started with PHP. Uh, okay. So, PHP was my first, ooh, I can make this thing like do stuff if and or, full stack wise basically at the time like it was trivial to make something which was talking to a database rendering html and css you just had this one tool and you could echo anything to the page and it, it felt like magic that's how i kind of really got into any kind of behavior in terms of software development it was was php was my gateway drug so mm. um people bash it and stuff like that but it, it really was uh, a really easy thing to get started with and felt like magic at the time. How old were you when you learned PHP? Uh, 15, I started, I think, or so. I distinctly remember 14 was when I first made anything for the web. And uh, it was 
it was MySpace profile. So I don't know if you remember MySpace. Yeah. It, well, you, you, you remember MySpace. Hopefully all the listeners remember MySpace. But one, one detail of MySpace was that you could paste arbitrary HTML and CSS into your About Me box. Yeah. You, you had an About Me box to fill in information about yourself or your profile. But it accepted more than just text. It accepted HTML and CSS. And it would take that content and render it on the page. So you could use your About Me box to kind of hack your own profile to look radically different from how MySpace had designed it. Yeah. And so then there was a million generator websites out there where you could go and pick options from a drop down, say background color black, music player, da 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 da, and have your, favorite, your top five friends or whatever. Right, right. And uh, then you just click generate and it gives you this huge look, looking mess of nonsense and you blindly copy and paste it into your About Me box. And I just, yeah, when I was 14, at some point I randomly just, I don't even know why, I don't remember the moment exactly, but I just decided, how does it make the background black? Like, how have I gone from picking black in a drop down to actually having a black MySpace profile? Yeah. And so then I just, fortunately at the time, the web was still very much view source and you saw exactly what was written by the developer on the other end. Yeah. So I was able to approach it through, through MySpace profile editing, basically. And I, I then, I shamelessly went around MySpace looking for actual professional web developers and their MySpace profile pages, which they'd carefully handcrafted and made like, like way better than any generator site could make. Right, right. Um, and then I just viewed source and copied their stuff and tweaked things until it worked. I had no idea what I was doing, but I tweaked stuff until it worked. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was basically not long after that, within a year of doing that, where I was then kind of addicted to it. And I just wanted to see what it'd be like to not have MySpace there as my infrastructure and actually make a site from scratch. And uh, a friend of mine at school was actually already, already experimenting with PHP, this thing I'd never heard of. And uh, so I bought PHP for dummies. <laughs> and uh, that, was, that was how I got into it. I remember being on a plane on going on vacation and reading PHP for dummies. As a 15-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I, I would say I, then uh, when I went to university, I was a member of uh, societies, which we call them in the UK, like things like sports clubs and interest groups and stuff like that. So I made a website for every society that I was a member of. For example, I was in the business society uh, and I was in kickboxing and I made websites for those people. And some of them had, some of them were very basic. They were just basically marketing sites, but there were some interesting challenges in there. Like the business society every year had a business ball, which was this formal event where we all made ourselves feel very mature because we we're all like 20 uh, 20 year olds and we would wear tuxes and we're in the business school. So we're very important, that kind of right, stuff. Right, 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 right. So, but, so I built this whole ticketing system where you had a, you had a, a QR code. And so you, you needed to print that out and bring it with you to the event. And then each of the organizers had a web page that they could go to, to process that QR code to make sure it was real. But it was way over-engineered. There was, we could have done the same thing with a checklist and a clipboard, Right, right. Uh, but it was a problem to solve and yeah. it was super fun. And, Again, PHP, I was still leveraging that at the time. My PHP game had got a bit stronger at this point because I was leveraging frameworks and stuff like that. So CodeIgniter was the first ever framework I used and was really easy to get started with and I enjoyed it a lot. And then Laravel came about. I was much more of a serious player and is still today like a go-to choice for uh, PHP developers with whatever version of PHP exists today, seven or eight. Um, so yeah, Laravel was what I was using probably for most of those sites at the time. Uh, using Jeffrey Way as a as a teacher, still an still an amazing teacher, teaching Laravel to people on Laracasts. 
So um, yeah, he, he taught me a lot. And uh, my, first, my first major JavaScript work, I would say, was through him as well when he was teaching about Backbone. And uh, so that was when I started to mix and match between my just pure PHP messy template stuff with some actual client-side logic. And Backbone was, uh, I can't say if it was taking off at the time, but it was certainly gaining in popularity. And so Code Igniter and Backbone was a, definitely a combination I used quite a bit. And uh, then I remember being in a, in an, in an early job and I, my, this colleague and I, we, we used to hack on stuff all the time. We worked for a tech company and none of the APIs or stuff were very well guarded. They were just kind of all open for employees to fiddle with however they were. It was, they called themselves a startup. It was still like a few hundred people. Yeah. So it was kind of in that perfect sweet spot between loads of power and not much restriction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we used to hack on stuff all the time to make, make solutions to make our jobs easier. And uh, we started making this mobile app version of the entire product. And so they had all these developers somewhere in America that we'd never met, but we, we had this strong suspicion that we could make a mobile version of what they were doing quite quickly, even though neither of us were technically developers. We were technical uh, implementation consultants. So that, it was like generic wishy-washy stuff. Right. Um, and so I started making it in Backbone because that's what I was used to. And then it was actually my colleague, Simon, that, basically took one of, the, one of the things that we'd made in Backbone and he was exploring it in AngularJS and he remade the thing in AngularJS and it was like 10% of the lines of code yeah. to, make, to make the exact same thing. And that's what just then blew my mind. It's like this declarative, magical, two-way data binding and all this kind of stuff. And then, I, yeah, I've been hooked ever since. That was, that was my Angular instruction was actually Simon uh, taking something that we'd already written in Backbone and re-implementing it. So I saw like for like... And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was a long answer to the question, but that's that, uh, yeah, kind of came up from PHP towards the client. And then, yeah, using JavaScript then became the thing of choice. And then, Node, in that same time period, Node skyrocketed in popularity. So, that same kind of time period of 2012 onwards, Node really exploded. So, yeah, ever since then, I, I, didn't, I didn't really have felt I had a need for PHP anymore because I could achieve the same things in Node. And then, uh, Simon actually left that company and started a new company and hired me as the first employee of that company uh, where we wrote a load of microservices in Go. We, we were building a real-time bidder for online advertising. So we were bidding on ad impressions in real-time for big uh, advertisers to serve their, their creatives, as they call them, to users on the web. And uh, the, the kind of speed and scale that you need for that node is really just not that well equipped to handle uh, millions of requests a second and that kind of stuff. So, mm. uh, so I was exposed to Go and Go is a really nice language. And mm. uh, that led me on to automated formatting and that being a, an interest of mine because Go ships with a formatter. So the, yeah. the whole language is opinionated, which is really nice. So you never think about formatting. Yeah. And uh, so then when Prettier rolled around, I was like, ooh, finally Go format for yeah. my JavaScript code. Yeah. Um, so then I, I actually contributed the TypeScript uh, support in Prettier yeah. because I'd started, yeah, I'd started writing a parser for ESLint um, because basically the TypeScript compiler produces, an, all these tools produce ASTs and uh, the TypeScript AST is kind of unique. It's its own thing. Um, separately in JavaScript land, because there were lots of projects that required parsing and turning into ASTs, there was an effort to try and standardize some of that stuff. And it was known as ES-Tree. Um, it's still going today, ES-Tree spec. 
and uh, basically ESLint and uh, the, the parser that powers Webpack, Acorn, and uh, Babylon is, or so Babel Parser as it's now called, is very close to ES3. They made some slight divergences. Uh, but basically you can kind of group those together as having one AST format. And TypeScript's different to all of those things. So yeah. the parser that I made basically just took the TypeScript AST and transformed it into an ES tree-like AST, as close as it could be, because obviously TypeScript has some yeah. nodes which don't make sense in JavaScript. So I had to make some stuff up. Yeah. But basically, once I'd done that for ESLint, uh, it, it already made sense for the prettier use case, where it needs to take this source code and turn it into an AST that's similar to what it's already done, because all the, all the operations in Pretty are based on the AST, not on text. Right. So it needs to be a similar kind of AST for all the logic of Prettier to be reused for TypeScript code. And that's so that I was like, oh, this could work and open a PR with it. At the time, yeah, there, there wasn't, I didn't include much effort to try and actually pretty print anything, but it meant that nothing exploded anymore. And uh, it would work. It just wasn't that attractive for some TypeScript specific constructs. And then fortunately, other people from open source took over on that more like grunt work of trying to, make sure everything was beautiful if you had lots of union types as a return type or whatever, or how do you make those decisions? It's, it's very arbitrary and it's yep. full, of, full of debate. So I slunk back into the hedge and the Homer Simpson meme for that, <laughs> for that period. You let other people take it over. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I, I still contribute to Prettier, particularly through the ESLint story, because if I make a change to the parser, which both tools are still using, then I need to make sure it's not gonna break Prettier and, and stuff like that. And I use Prettier for every single project that I do personally oh, yeah. as well. So I'm, I'm definitely a user. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, I love prettier. I yeah. love not having to talk about styling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love, I love that the discussion's dead with prettier. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Bro, that's a big, that was a big background. That was yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you, you went all the way in. Yep. Yeah. Should we, should we finish up? Yeah. So <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. No. Um, so, uh, you're, the room that you're in is kind of bare. What's going on? You're, yeah. Uh, well, I'm never, I'm never great at decorating walls and stuff, particularly in rental places. Yeah. Uh, so they, I currently live in an apartment in Toronto, in Canada. Uh, I'm, I've been here for about a year. I moved from the UK last year just to have an adventure. And uh, yeah, I'm kicking, the, I'm kicking that adventure up a notch. Uh, did you, basically, did you move over to join Narwhal, or were you already over? Uh, I was. Uh, basically my, my brother and I were living together in London and he got a new job where they needed him to move to Abu Dhabi in the Middle East. Uh, he works for a trade bank over there, which was being established and it was a big opportunity for him and very happy that he wanted to, to go and do it. So I needed to change my living situation in London anyway. Um, but then I just, it suddenly occurred to me like, Hmm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I, I don't really have any specific ties to where I am right now. And there's plenty of places in the world that I would still love to see and experiences I'd love to have. So I used that opportunity rather than just moving in somewhere else and uh, continuing down the same path. I just used the opportunity to, uh, as a kickstart for me also going abroad. And unlike my brother who had a specific job that needed him to move to a specific place, I just had a free choice basically. So yeah. I'd always wanted to move to North America at some point and, uh, I basically never heard a bad thing about Canada from anybody that had been there. Everyone had a great time and uh, said it was a wonderful place to be. And uh, I'd never been, but I decided to move there. 
<laughs> and uh, I hadn't actually got as far as deciding where, because obviously Canada is an enormous country. Yeah. Realistically, it would have been Vancouver, Montreal, or Toronto, probably. Um, but then, very serendipitously, Victor tweeted that same week. It was with it was definitely within seven days of me making that decision. Right, I'll go for Canada. Uh, he tweeted, "We're now going to start hiring people in Toronto. We're going to build up a hub there. Uh, apply now, whatever." So I pinged him and was like. Uh, would you consider if I was moving to Canada? Because uh, obviously that stuff doesn't happen right away. You need to apply, get a visa, all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, just, I DM'd him on Twitter and said, "Would you?" Because I'd met him at uh, Angular Camp, the Barcelona conference, the year before. So we spent some time together. He brought his now wife with mm. with him there. Uh, so that was really cool. So I felt like I knew him a bit, and that was the only connection I had to Canada at that point. I didn't even realize it at the time. I didn't realize he'd moved back to Canada after leaving Google. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I pinged him, and, and we we agreed that I that I join, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a little bit of a gap uh, was that was going to be before I could get the visa and move over. I think it was August that we started talking, and then December, basically they said uh, we, we'd like you to start remotely uh rather than waiting until you move so i started in december 2017 uh so i was number five i think and uh then it was mar the beginning of march 2018 that i moved over so i had i had three or four months working remotely from the uk with us clients which was kind of difficult the hours i had i had a client in seattle was the, during oh. that time mainly so i was an eight hour time difference from them yeah. which was rough yeah. uh but still yeah it was it was great to have that build up start building up that connection and feeling like i was a part of the company and part of the group and stuff before moving over so then when i did move over to toronto it was still only victor and i at the time in the toronto office now there's i think eight or nine of us here in toronto so that's pretty cool it's been it's been growing a lot um but yeah when i moved over we didn't have an office we didn't have anything so it was just i went to victor met up with victor in a coffee shop and yeah, worked on stuff together. So it was, it was very cool. So yeah, it was kind of, I decided on Canada, but now was the reason I'm in Toronto specifically. Gotcha. So kind of a mix of both. Uh, but yeah, now was a fantastic place to work because we, we're remote from our clients most of the time anyway. And uh, Victor and Jeff are really open to remote working. We have plenty of employees who are permanently remote. They, they work from home in various locations across the US. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm basically kind of joining them, I'm going to be giving up the permanent home base in Toronto to be in a permanent state of traveling for a little bit. Hmm. So I'm going to be, um, we, we're very fortunate that we get to go to so many conferences and stuff like that. So I move around quite a bit anyway, but I just figured um, rather than having the huge constant overhead of rent in a city, if I'm traveling around a lot and I, I, I want to kick it up a notch, I want to see more places in Canada, this place is huge and the US as well. Yeah. Um, then I, I, I could always just give up the, the apartment. I'm renting. I don't own the place. So yeah, it was, a, it was an exciting decision to make. And like you mentioned about the, the bare room, I'm basically in the process of downsizing so that I can fit my life into a couple of suitcases. Wow. So yeah, it'd be an exciting adventure. So what do you, I mean, you're going to live in Airbnbs or where are you going to live? Yeah, I think predominantly it'll be Airbnbs. Um, my fantasy, I, I really should start making a plan, but my fantasy is certainly that I will be in a mixture of things. I'll probably, be, if the area, for example, is interesting, but maybe a little rougher, yeah. <laughs> I, might, I might stay in a nicer place and I'll invert it. So if I'm in, a, in, in an amazing place, I might rough it a bit more. So I think I'll probably just do the inverse of the place where I'm going to. 
Um, but there's, there's certainly areas in, particularly in the West of Canada that I haven't really spent a lot of time in. I've been to Vancouver briefly, stunning place. The nature and the mixture of nature and, and man-made stuff is, is incredible. Totally. So I want to spend more time there and explore a bit further up and round like Alaska and Banff and those kind of parts of that corner of North America. So that'd be pretty cool. And I could probably like stay in interesting little cabins and stuff like that mm. while I'm, while I'm traveling. Maybe my internet connection won't be so great for a bit, but yeah, you'll have to figure that out. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I enjoy coming to uh, the amazing conference in Salt Lake city every year, which obviously we've just wrapped up. So that was great fun. And I, I, I'm going to Angular Denver, uh, in August to speak, which will be awesome. Uh, we've got a great lineup of speakers and you're one of them as well. So that should be really cool. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the beginning of August, I think, right, right at the end of July, beginning of August. Yep. So I'll, I'll probably extend my trip uh, a little longer to stay around in Colorado because I've never been to Colorado before. Yeah. It's just crazy amount of opportunity to travel here really. And, uh, I basically, I don't want to waste it. So I, I, I want to yeah. make sure I make the most of it here. I love that you're focused on it. Um, I, I didn't focus on that stuff when I was, when I had the chance and now now I've, I've got the, the kids. Many, many, many children. <laughs> yeah. Way too. I got like five people's worth of kids. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, that's fun. So what are you, what, what's your main like shtick at uh, Narwhal? What, what, what do internally, what are you the guy for? I mean, I imagine you have a role internally. What is it? Yeah. So we, uh, we have a very, uh, like we, we tend to have a week where it's mainly client focused because we are fundamentally there for our clients primarily. Uh, so for example, I work four days a week on Capital One. Capital One, it's not a secret that I'm working with them because we presented together at NGConf. Yeah. So doing a very, very interesting upgrade with them where they have um, an incredible large app. It's their, it's their main portal that they support their clients through. And it's an AngularJS application and we're upgrading it through Angular Elements. So it's really interesting. We spoke about that ng-conf. And uh, so that's, that's a huge part of my, my week and my focus is four days out of five. I'm working with those guys. Fantastic team there. Really enjoy working with them. Um, and then the one day a week that I get, um, it varies slightly what the focus is. But for me, I've uh, I focused a lot on making sure that everyone at Narwhal is productive and has good technology to work with. So for example, I built out our CI system and uh, we, have, we have a big mono repo internally where we make almost all of our products. There are some we keep in separate repos when we have outside collaborators come in or, or things like that for, for various reasons. Sometimes we need to keep re repos separate, but we have one large mono repo internally. And so making sure that the, that runs smoothly and deployments go out. We have a staging environment for everything. We have a production environment. People can ship to production confidently, not break things. That's ended up being quite a big focus of mine because it frees up other developers to not care so deeply about so many different topics like Docker and build systems and CI and all that kind of stuff. So I personally find that quite interesting as well. Empowering other developers has always been a theme. Like all my things I contribute to, Babel, Prettier, ESLint, it's all about tools to help developers. They're the, the users are developers, that kind of stuff. So I find myself slotting very naturally into that role. And uh, other stuff I've, I've helped out with basically all of our products, NX, Angular Console, uh, Narwhal Connect has been a big focus of mine, which is our kind of developer portal. We, we provide a, a massive amount of free content there, connect.narwhal.io. Uh, so you, you can go there to see all the books we've ever written, like Victor and, and Jeff have written books and it's all available for free there. 
Uh, we have some live events where we have people on to talk. Uh, for example, we had Rob Warmwald on to talk about elements. We have Alex Eagle coming on next week on the 12th to talk about Basil. Um, and we record that as like a live video interview type thing, like a round table. And then we make the recording available through there. So at the moment it's all free, but hopefully this will be the foundation of some product work that we can offer people where they can, they can interact with Narwhal without having to sign a huge SLA with us and have a dedicated resource that's on them four days out of five. Cause obviously that's prohibitively expensive for a whole class of companies that would benefit from our input, but they can't necessarily work with us full time. So yeah, we're trying to unlock more ways to connect with people and connect with the community. Uh, but yeah, we, so mainly we, we, we have free tooling and I would say I kind of, I, I have darted around quite a bit in terms of I'm helping out. We need some extra resources here. need some extra resources here. I pride myself on being a generalist. I, I would say I try and I, I try not to lose that sense of I can fiddle with any area of the stack and make it work at some point. Uh, I try, I try and keep that side of things if I can. So I gravitate towards scenarios where I can support things all the way from writing components back to configuring Docker. So yeah, that's, I enjoy that a lot. You sound like a pretty ideal employee. Like it sounds like Victor and Jeff are probably like super pumped that they, that they got you. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoy working with them. We I, certainly, we've, it's always a very positive working environment. There's never any sense of unnecessary formality or yeah. They're never breathing over you to like, what are you doing? How are you spending your time? Anything like that. It's uh and particularly it's a, it's a bit of a challenge because I work four days a week, not on Narwhal stuff directly. So, um, they, they always trust us that we're doing the right thing by our clients. Obviously they do hear from our clients how well things are going and if it's time to sign an extension or whatever. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good place to work. I, I enjoy working with those guys a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I can't imagine a funner team. You guys, uh, you guys have a pretty awesome team and you just got a, you just hired uh, Wes Grimes. Yeah. I, I haven't actually spoken to Wes before. I, I saw that announcement. I uh, look forward to speaking with him. Uh, I, I know his name. Uh, I think he's, he's recently joined the NGRX core team, right? So, yeah. uh, but I haven't actually had the chance to speak to him yet. So that'd be exciting. I think he's joining at the end of the month. That's so awesome. that'd, be, that'd be cool. Yeah. Another, another really good hire for Narwhal. Yeah. Um, well, cool, man. Um, so I'm trying to think what, uh, what other questions that we had, you've pretty much blown through a lot of stuff. So what yeah, about- well, I, I guess one thing that's very relevant to the Angular ecosystem that I'm kind of hacking away at the moment, I've been tweeting some, some like hype tweets about it. Um, people may or may not be aware that TS Lint has effectively been, dep- is, it's already officially been deprecated by Palantir who've who mm. created it and maintained it. So mm. that linter will be going away officially in uh, January, 2020. Mm. Uh, so they'll, they've, they've set out a timeline on the repo where they're going to stop accepting feature requests in like August, I think. And then that's, they've, they've got a scale basically. They'll stop requesting certain types of, they'll stop accepting requests of certain types until eventually they stop accepting PRs altogether. Obviously the tool won't disappear. You can still use it, but it won't, it won't receive updates. Um, so this was catalyzed by the TypeScript team deciding to fully back ESLint basically and the, the project that I made called TypeScript ESLint. Um, so that facilitates you to use ESLint with TypeScript together, which is all the way back to that parser I mentioned. Um, so that's a monorepo called TypeScript-ESLint. Um, it's got a few packages in there related to 
making that all work together. And uh, so an interesting question then is how do we support the Angular ecosystem, which is obviously the CLI ships with TSLint. You get schematics to, to generate those files when you have a new lib, uh, a new library project. Um, yeah. And you have builders to execute the linter as well. If you run ng-lint, it's executing TSLint behind the scenes through a builder. Yeah. So I've been hacking away at making all that stuff work with ESLint, basically. So Because obviously, I'm, I'm very well placed to do it because I made the tool TypeScript ESLint and day-to-day, -day I'm in the Angular ecosystem. So I want to make sure that that's not this big jarring experience for people. So I'm uh, yeah working with, with Alex and Minko on the Angular CLI stuff and... Uh, then separately in my spare time, I've been converting Codalyzer to ESLint so that we get all of those uh, Angular style guide related rules enforced through ESLint. And most recently I built a custom parser for ESLint which allows it to understand HTML templates from Angular because it invokes the Angular yeah. compiler. And so we they have their own special like mini AST for things yeah. like the banana in a box bindings and that kind of stuff. So yeah. I've written, I've written a, an assertion based on that. And it ended up being, once I'd written the parser, which was quite tricky, uh, the rules then are really easy to write, really, really easy to write. So I'm happy with how that's going. I've written a builder so you can run ng-lint and it'll run ESLint instead of TSLint. Uh, I haven't written any schematics yet because they're kind of relatively simple to write. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to leave those to the end. I feel like getting a critical mass of rules converted and getting the builder logic in place so you can just run ng-lint is gonna be the most important thing. So um, I'm working hard on that. It's uh, something I'm, I'm mainly working on in my free time. So uh, it's something where that's why I tweet occasionally about it because I found like a Saturday morning where I could do another thing. But it's, so far I haven't found any major blockers. It's, it's looking like it's gonna be a fairly smooth transition and probably maybe like, let's say Angular 9 uh, I would say at the very least, you can probably opt into it. Um, so that'll be in the fall sometime. Um, but I, I, can't, I can't promise anything because obviously it's out of my hands whether PRs get accepted directly into the Angular CLI. At the very least, I could provide schematics and builders and stuff that you could install to use it in your projects. Um, for folks like uh, who, who are doing upgrades Angular, with Angular um, Upgrade or Angular Elements and stuff where they do have a mixture of JS and TS, uh, ESLint is particularly valuable because you can have one linter handle both sets of code bases, want both sets of file types and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I would say that's the, the probably the most blue sky, like interesting angular thing I'm working on in open source at the moment is fitting those pieces together. Um, and hopefully that, that will be very useful to everybody. Hmm. Bro, you're, uh, you're kind of a machine. Maybe <laughs> it's, it's got a lot going on. It's cool. I mean, it's cool uh, to see a day in the life of uh, James Henry. So, so uh, I did have a question. Uh, it sounds like you do four days for cap one and then Victor and Jeff are like, Hey, do something. It sounds like you're getting the 20% time to do something else. Kind of. Yeah. Um, that, that's, I would say that's, that's the most common pattern that we have. Occasionally we have uh, break weeks from the clients, so there'll be more, more internal focus time. Um, but yeah, I would say that this, the standard pattern that, that most of us operate on, depending on the clients we're working with at the time, um, it's, it's kind of 80, 20 is, is a very common split in the company. There are some people that work slightly different day splits and stuff like this. Some have slightly more internal time. Um, 
but yeah, it's that, that, that's the most common split. So at the moment, I'm, my particular focus on the internal side is building out, uh, like I mentioned, this, this connect portal so that we can support users in a slightly different way than just being on them permanently. And, uh, for example, we've, we, in the past we've leveraged Slack quite heavily where we'll just have a dedicated Slack channel for folks to ping their resource and chat things through. Um, so we're, we're trying to investigate other ways of supporting people that doesn't involve such like a direct contact. You can, you can leverage a, a general area of support inside this portal that we've made for connect. And uh, the, the benefit of that as well is it's kind of right there within angular console. If you use angular console, we have a connect tab right in there, which allows you to eventually leverage this, this stuff that I'm working on. So yeah, hopefully that's, it's quite exciting. Hopefully it'll allow us to work with people in different ways than we do today. Mm. So that's, that's mainly what I do on my one day a week where I'm working on uh, internal stuff is that particular project right now. That's exciting, man. Um, if, if anyone has any questions for you or they want to, they want to chat with you, what's, what, what's like the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, Twitter is great. Uh, I use Twitter mainly to consume content. I'm a bit, I'm a bit rubbish at tweeting, but I try my best. And uh, Mr. James Henry is my Twitter handle. Unfortunately, somebody has been squatting on James Henry since 2009. They don't tweet. They don't tweet. The name is Leslie Robinson, the, the display name. So it's inexplicable. And, but unfortunately, Twitter doesn't really, they don't really care about those things. Unless I own a trademark and a, or I'm a corporate entity or something. Yeah. Um, they, don't really, they don't really seem to care about those situations. So uh, yeah, it has like nine followers and I'm one of them because I'm following just in case it ever tweets again. Uh, yeah, so, so Mr. James Henry, is M, as in MR, not the full word Mr. MR James Henry on Twitter is my handle. Um, GitHub, I'm just James Henry on GitHub. And so you, yeah, TypeScript DS Lint repo is, is where I spend a lot of my time. And I've got the, uh, some of the Codalizer stuff uh, in flight as well. Cool. Um, so yeah, I would say that's probably the best way. Um, I... Someone was kind of squatting on, well, not kind of, someone was squatting on the Aaron Frost Twitter handle and um, they had it hooked up to like, I don't know, some live streaming game system. So the only posts were these automatic posts. Oh, right. Okay. When they play. So I, I reached out and I was like, Oi, uh, I want that account. And then they never responded. And then I got lucky one day they needed to pay rent and oh, okay. they did that money. And they're like, I'll sell it to you. And I'm like, well, it's illegal to purchase Twitter handles. So how about I hire you to be my employee for a month? <laughs> and part of your, your employment is you have to give me that. And they're like, okay. So we just did like this weird, dumb contract that I read online. That's how you have to do it. Otherwise, you're legally, you could get both your accounts shut down. Oh, interesting. Okay. So good work. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, just- I, I don't, I've, I haven't looked at this Leslie Robinson account for a while, but I, I don't think DMs were open or anything. I think it's, it's a bizarre situation. It's yeah. very odd. You think, you think they periodically like force people to close down their account if they haven't used it in, in what? Yeah, I don't know when the last tweet was, 2011, something like that. If they haven't used it in eight years, they should yeah. probably not have a Twitter account. Well, it says like, uh, I think the documentation says two years. If you haven't logged in in two years, like, uh, so you have to have had like some sort of an event and an event could be a tweet or a login. So, oh, okay. So if you haven't had that in two years, then, then you could be reclaimed. Like they might reclaim the handle. 
but they don't actively reclaim. Yeah. So. It hurts their user numbers, right? So they're, they're unlikely to want to do that. Yeah, they're never going to reclaim for fun. Yeah. But yeah. if you... I do have a friend who he got it because he paid them to do some advertising for him and his his salesman hooked him up. Oh, right, nice. So apparently yeah. if, you ever, if you ever pay to advertise your name, right, then your sales guy can apparently hook you up. So I don't know. Nice. Yeah. I need an in. Yeah, you got to get an in. Anyway, James, uh, good chatting with you as always. Um, I hope that people got to, a chance to get to know you a little better and uh, appreciate kind of all that you're doing and all that Narwhal is doing for the your community. So if anyone has questions for James, ping him on Twitter. Um, or recommendations for where to go in North America on my travels. Exactly. Or if you just want to take him out while he's traveling, you want yeah. to get some beers yeah. with him. Uh, hit him up and uh, he's a great guy to talk to. I've hung out with him at a couple conferences and he's a fun guy. So reach out to him. And uh, other than that, I'll just say thanks for coming on James. Thanks a lot. And to the listeners, I'll say uh, see you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.